0: Welcome to Fireside Breakdowns. I'm John.
1: I'm Robin. And I'm Savannah.
0: Together, we research and break down complex and even controversial topics facing our society. We always aim to bring you honest analysis, backed by research, to skew our bias towards what can be factually supported, and to make it clear when we're giving our opinion versus speaking about actual research. We're human. We have blind spots and biases, and they will show through. However, our goal isn't to convince you to see things our way. We want to build a foundational understanding of these complicated topics so that we can address them together.
1: We talk about some pretty heavy stuff on this show and we tackle topics that might feel polarizing. But we do that because we have an important goal in mind. We want to change the way that people have hard conversations and we think that we can do that using research and discussion to create common understanding. And since you're here, We hope you want the same thing.
2: So we suggest getting comfortable and maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside.
0: right, what are we talking about? Take us back. Today, we
1: are talking about why everything is so expensive right now. Um, I mean, if you have been anywhere or driven a car, you know that that the cost of everything that we do here in the United States has risen significantly. Uh, Biden says that it's Putin's fault. Fox News says that it's Biden's fault. And the only thing that we know living in every day is that our dollar doesn't go as far as it used to. Inflation is high, gas prices are high, and confidence in the health of the US economy is really, really low. So, we wanted to take some time to talk about what's going on.
0: I know what's going on. I know why everything's so expensive. I've done deep thought about this, and I have come to the conclusion that it is because we po. We po. So,
2: speak for yourself.
0: I know the fact of the situation, Savannah. Uh, no. Uh, this is probably a little bit like deja vu to some of you, um, but it's not, promise. We've covered these topics before, uh, fairly recently actually, but a lot has changed since we talked about inflation around Christmas time. And even more has changed since we looked at gas prices way back in September. <laughs> Um, so if your memory goes back that far, I'm not sure mine does anymore. Uh, So this episode will include a significant amount of recap information from previous episodes. So if you listen to those, you might hear some content that sounds familiar. If you didn't listen to those, don't worry. We'll give you enough background uh, to make sure that you can follow along.
2: There's plenty of new information to cover, including whether the conflict in Ukraine is contributing to rising inflation and whether or not we can blame Joe Biden for how much it costs to fill up our gas tanks this week. And we're also going to talk about uh, that Ben Shapiro video, even though it hurts.
1: Yes. So let's start about by talking about inflation in general. First, a recap of what exactly inflation is. The simplest definition of inflation is a decline in the purchasing power of a given currency over time. When inflation increases, your dollar, if you're an American listener, doesn't buy you as much coffee or toilet paper or gas as it used to. Paper money, at its core, is basically a representation of debt. Essentially, I'll give you this slip of paper or coin or whatever to represent that I owe you something of equivalent value to the thing that you gave me. It's an IOU. It's a universal stand-in for, well, anything. During periods of inflation, the money that we have been using begins to represent a smaller and smaller amount of debt. That cup of coffee for which we once paid one IOU slip now costs two IOU slips. If we were still on the gold standard, each dollar would be worth a smaller amount of gold.
0: When we discussed inflation in December we walked through the perfect storm of factors that combined to create the levels of inflation we were experiencing. Then first there was the great pause that period in 2020 when almost everything everywhere shut down. And I was blissfully happy. (laughs) I mean, uh, yes. Yeah. That included spending. I know I can only say that because I don't have children. So sorry, Savannah
2: and Robin, Uh, Hello.
0: No, I I and also Robert. was Will.
1: blissfully happy. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah. I, I you really guys was. both suck. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I got to garden, which yeah. is great. I cried every we, day. we rebuilt oh.
1: our deck, like I can't complain.
0: I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um clearly not for everybody. Right. But during the Great Pause came a Great Pause in spending as well. Many people went from steady incomes to No income, and we weren't spending money on things that we didn't need. Uh, The prices for goods, especially gas, plummeted as a result.
2: And the global supply chain also took a pretty big hit. There were significant effects to the end-to-end system that gets you the stuff that you buy to your front door, including computer chips, if you guys have noticed a decrease in ability to get to computers. Um, Countries all over the world had to deal with their own issues, but when you extrapolate all that out on a global scale, delays and expenses really begin to add up. Then
1: there were the labor shortages that were experienced by the factories that produce the goods that you're buying. They shut down or were forced to work on reduced schedules causing a domino effect as shipping companies began to cut back on their schedules due to the lack of goods to ship. And then came the spike in demand when we all had to entertain ourselves in that awkward period when we were working from home. Cue
2: the overwhelm.
0: (laughs) Indeed. Uh, So producers producers of goods and services, well, goods, and shipping companies tried to meet demand, Uh, But getting things rolling after months of relative stagnation proved to be very difficult. And even when goods started moving, COVID rates and isolation protocols slowed down processes at ports and kept truckers off the roads. And we can't forget the extreme weather that affected our ability to produce food and drove those costs even higher.
2: So that's where we were as of December of twenty twenty one. The consumer price index, which is a measure used to determine how the prices of things that we buy every day, like food and fuel, are changing over time, was up six point eight percent. Essentially something that cost you ten pre-COVID dollars costs you ten sixty-eight now. Well, in December. <laughs> and we were explaining that the inflation is a natural and necessary part of an economic system like ours. The exact wording we used was, right now we're a bit on the high side of desirable levels of inflation.
1: Since then, the headlines have been pretty constant. Every week it seems like we're setting a new record. So what do the numbers right now actually say?
0: Well, now it's March, and the CPI numbers for February have come in at 7.9%. And that means that prices for the market basket of goods that the CPI measures Have increased 7.9% when you compare February 2021 to February 2022. To use our previous example, what cost you $10 in February 2021 cost you $10.79 in February 2022.
1: Now, that doesn't seem like a lot at face value. What's an extra 79 cents to most people? But it's important to remember that that 7.9% is an aggregated number that accounts for both the 7% increase in food costs and the 25% increase in energy costs, and then the increases in the prices of other goods, too.
2: Personally, a uh, little antidote, my uh, energy bill more than doubled um, At the beginning of this year because of some price hikes because of the energy problems. So, yeah, I went from one hundred and ten to two forty, which is actually more than double. But anyway, (laughs) it's awful. Uh, I'm getting solar. Um, When you apply that increase to what an average American household spends on food in a month, it gets even more significant. The average monthly cost of groceries in the U.S., according to Yahoo Finance, using information from the U.S. Census Bureau, in 2019 was about $387. Now, inflation was pretty minimal before the impacts of COVID were felt, so we'll start our mathing in 2021. In February of 2020, we'll say the monthly grocery bill was $387. The CPI in February of 2021 was $1.7, which means that the same grocery order cost $394. But in February of 2022, that same grocery order cost $417. That's a $30 per month increase just in that one area of a household expenses.
0: And we've got to remember that it's not just the in-consumer's retail price for each, each individual item that is increasing. When it comes to food or computers or even sneakers, costs can compound. Vox.com has a great article that explains this concept using eggs. Uh, In order to produce eggs, you've got to feed and house chickens. The cost of the supplies needed to do that have increased. So then you've got labor cost of harv- harvesting the eggs and the cost of transporting them to packers and distributors and the labor cost of having them cleaned and inspected and packaged and then they've got to be transported again either to the grocery store or to another food producer who will use those eggs to make other food products and these costs compound. the increased cost of eggs has likely increased the cost of those those other foods as well and they just keep building like that As soon as it starts here, everything up the chain also bumps up in price.
1: Yeah. Now, it is true that we've seen wage growth in recent months, especially amongst the lowest wage earners in the US job market, and that is fantastic, especially because a recent report by the Economic Policy Institute found that not even a single person could live on the federal minimum wage. In the US county with the lowest cost of living, Orangeburg County, South Carolina, a single adult with no kids would need to earn $14.50 per hour to make ends meet. But the average increase in wages for the American worker was right around 4.5%, which is still 3% off of the increased costs brought on by inflation. For the average American worker, their paycheck right now is worth about 2.5% less this year than it was last year. This is the highest year-over-year inflation increase that the US economy has seen since 1982. Finally, I get to say something happened before I was born. Uh, I was just really excited about that for a minute. Because <laughs> it's always you guys, and you're like, that's before I was born. And,
0: I was like, and you're like, I remember uh... that.
1: <laughs> when we talked about this late last year, we knew that economists were predicting a continuation of higher inflation. But this exceeds most of the predictions that we saw then. So what gives? Why has inflation increased so much recently?
2: The costs of goods and services have increased over the last year because of something that can be explained by Econ 101. When we go from needing fewer goods and services in the height of the pandemic to needing many goods and services in this sort of post-pandemic world, there's an impact on supply and demand. A lower supply of something in high demand causes prices to go up. The global supply chain issues to include yet another cargo ship getting stuck in a canal (laughs) contributes to consumers not getting their goods. No, I'm not talking about the Ever Given in the Suez getting stuck. A sister (laughs) ship of that ill-fated ship also got stuck in the Chesapeake Bay on March 13th of 2022 and is still stuck as of the recording of this (laughs) podcast. Uh, The ship's name ever forward is a misnomer.
1: Also, I feel like they just need to stop. That company just needs to stop,
0: right? You just—they
2: mm. are stopping, Robin. <laughs> they
1: need, they need, to, need go. to stop, not in a place where they are blocking.
0: <laughs> yeah, you need you need to go. That's what we tell them. Go. I don't care how it is. Just leave, or actually get your ships moving. But just get go. Out. If uh, if it costs more to produce goods if businesses are trying to prevent a labor shortage to prevent the great resignation and failing by paying employees more if goods can't get into the hands of the customers if gas to transport goods costs more who suffers the consumer because businesses tend to pass the costs to their customers to prevent cutting into their profits
2: which, you know, I actually felt with my personal coffee shop that I go to like every day. They raise the prices of their coffee by $2. And I was like, Quentin, what the heck? And he was like, I can't keep people here because they can get paid so much more. And he's already paying more than minimum wage. And so, yeah, I felt that a direct hit for that. So now I have literally a $5 cup of coffee that's not even fancy. I'm so upset. Um, That's really interesting. But also,
1: like, I do want to point out really quickly that there's a difference between a small business, which I'm assuming that that is what your local coffee shop is, a small business needing to immediately raise their prices to cover the cost of labor in a very direct sense like that, but... The way that doesn't extrapolate out when you get to these giant corporations, right? McDonald's does not have to raise the price of their hamburger by a yeah. dollar so that they can pay their workers. If you look at the way that the profits of the top executives of these giant companies have shaken out over the last year, all of their executive compensation and all of their profits have skyrocketed, and yeah. They have raised yeah. their prices telling us that it's because it costs so much to hire new workers.
2: Right. What big so, businesses do is not the same as like what small businesses exactly. do. But so, they're using sure. the same reasoning.
1: They are using the same yeah. reasoning and they expect us to buy it because we see it happening with our local it. businesses.
2: Literally, we buy it, Robin. <laughs> I don't buy it. We buy like products. That's the joke oh. I'm
0: trying to make actually actually buy it I'm too tired for me. <laughs> but i mean part of it part of the reason we buy it and part of the reason they're posting these record profits uh is because like in in the case of say walmart um they have not a literal monopoly but a practical monopoly mm-hmm. when it comes to uh, being the primary supplier for household goods and uh, groceries to multiple millions of people uh, across the globe. Yeah. So.
1: I just, I felt like that was of important they context they want. because I, I want people who are listening to this to genuinely understand that the small businesses near you do need to do that. And if we can continue to support them, then we should. Um, but the same excuse does not go for the big bad corporate businesses. Yeah. Pretty sure. Clinton's
0: Coffee Shop, you can probably support that Absolutely. One. Starbucks, probably doesn't need to put two dollars more on on their yeah. tall blonde which is a drink yeah it is all right hey, hey they have a short blonde too hey even better <laughs> <They do. laughs> well it's That's what i get because it's it's a small cup and i don't drink that much caffeine so
2: Well, I personally don't want to hear anything from John and Robin about how expensive gas prices are right now because I live in California (laughs) where they do not and 12.859 gallons cost me $72.77 this week. Uh, the lines are down the street to get to the gas stations, and people are even waking up earlier to get in line for gas. Uh, the neighborhood groups are trying to share where gas is cheaper and where the lines aren't around. And what makes this even more insane is that California has the most electronic vehicles in the nation, which is 42% of all electronic vehicles. Um, it's not adjusted by population size, so
0: that might be cheating in the numbers category. But uh, yeah, we were... St- but it's still... In, gro- in terms of gross, yeah. like... Yes. Yeah. Exactly.
2: 42%. So what have y'all paid in gas?
1: I I feel like I don't even get to start Good. complaining, so I'll let John go first.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, I I actually have to fill up tomorrow morning before I go to work and I'm thinking I'm going to be paying somewhere in the vicinity of 430. Uh oh, that's So a cheap. Gallon. That's
2: cheap like <sighs> Tia yeah. keeps trying to get me to move to DC and you're kind of selling it for me.
1: Well, if gas prices are what's going to do it, you're going to be my neighbor pretty soon.
2: <laughs> Cuz yeah. uh, the
1: last gas station I drove by today was $3.78. Okay. Which so, anyway, Robin. Is it
2: can... it
1: it does sound like it's significantly lower and it is, but also <laughs> um if you were to adjust for cost of living and the poverty rate in the area that I live in, even a yeah. a 20 or 30% per- uh, increase 20 or 30 cent increase in the co- the cost of gas can um, can keep people from getting to work. I don't live in a pedestrian yeah. friendly area. The bus routes go in giant circles and they're not predictable. Um, so really, if you don't have a car, you're walking or you're not getting to work. And if you can't afford to put gas in your car, you're walking or you're not getting to work. So, yeah, got to
2: break out those shoe <laughs>
0: Oh, that was really bad, and I love it. <laughs> really bad,
1: deliciously bad. Mm. No, but there there are a few theories right now about why gas is so expensive. Some people want to blame it directly on President Biden himself. Some are giving credit to the invasion of Ukraine and the sanctions on the energy sector. If you remember from our last episode, Shell and BP have both pulled out of their agreements in Russia. But before we can break down where the real culprit might be, we should probably remind you how the price that we pay at the pump is actually determined. Like any other consumer product, the price of gasoline reflects the cost of the various goods and services it takes to bring it to your friendly neighborhood gas station. There is a whole process involved in bringing that gas to you, and you're paying for that whole process. (laughs) Allow us to illustrate.
0: Because Savannah's currently feeling the most pain at an average of $5.19 a gallon. Bullshit. It was Not five, adjusted for cost yeah. of living. Sorry. Yeah. That's a bullshit number.
1: Well, so it's, it is average across California.
0: Uh, <laughs> averaged. An average uh, will bring this section to life with numbers offered by the California Energy Commission. So everything starts with barrels of crude oil. In today's market, the cost of crude oil makes up about 56% of the price you pay at the pump. In California, as of March 7th, about $2.87 of the price at the pump comes from crude oil. Very generally, crude oil prices are determined by global supply and demand. When everyone wants oil and there's not enough to go around, prices go up. When there's a bunch of extra oil and no one wants it, prices go down. When there's not much to go around to begin with and everyone wants it, prices go way, way up. The crude oil portion of gas in California increased 50 cents between February 28th and March 7th. That is one week.
2: Yeah, insane. But crude oil prices are a little bit more complicated than just basic economics. First, you've got the influence of OPEC, the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries, which is a coalition of the world's most more significant oil producers. OPEC exports represent about 60% of the total petroleum traded internationally, and the coalition's ability to control production has a significant effect on the availability of oil and how much each barrel costs. When they tighten down and produce less, which is what they're doing now, prices go up. OPEC countries also control a really important indicator for global markets called spare production capacity, which is the volume of oil production that can be brought on within 30 days and sustained for at least 90 days. This spare capacity serves as an indicator of the oil market's ability to respond to crises crises or supply interruptions, which would affect availability and therefore affect prices. Spoiler, this is kind of a big deal right now.
1: Right. To further complicate things, the oil market leverages a concept called futures. This means that the world oil market doesn't just buy and sell already existing barrels of oil. They also buy and sell contracts for future delivery of oil at current prices. When the future availability of or market for oil seems to be unstable, future prices can jump affecting the prices of existing crude, or causing companies to mark up their current prices to insulate against a possible
0: increase. The cost of refining is another factor in the price of gas. And this cost is determined by a variety of elements, uh, the type and quality of oil, whether it's being turned into diesel or regular gasoline, etc., Gas and oil companies pass these costs along to the retailer, and the retailer passes them along to the consumer. Oh, and the refinery has to make a profit, too. Uh, Right now, about $1.33, about 26% of what Savannah is paying for gas, goes to refining costs and profits. And
1: I didn't insert this in here, but that is double, roughly, what it was when we talked about gas prices in September. That I thought particular that markup is yeah. yeah. It was I think twelve percent, twelve or thirteen percent when we talked about it in September. So um hey, rising rising worker wages, right?
0: Uh, yeah, totally, definitely. That's what's it's constant. not the oil company profits for sure. Definitely not.
2: Um audio listeners can't see me put a finger gun to my head and pull the trigger on these uh <laughs> costs trigger warning no pun intended um so marketing (laughs) and distribution costs also add (laughs) do you not appreciate that (laughs) so bad
0: Uh, you're welcome um that's it that's what that's what gets us taken off the (laughs) off the airwaves no
2: it's just what gets us canceled (laughs)
0: Uh, same thing same thing ask joe rogan right
2: marketing and distribution costs also add to the final retail cost these are the costs the company pays to convince you to buy their gas and to get it to the gas station for you to put it in your car. And these costs can vary depending on whether you're buying branded gas from BP or unbranded gas from your local mom and pop station. The California Energy Commission tells us that these marketing costs currently add between 3 and 6%, which is $0.16 cents and $0.36, cents, to the final cost for consumers.
1: And then rounding out the price at the pump is everyone's favorite inevitability – Taxes. In- Death. Oh. <laughs> no. Dang it.
0: I'm a millennial. Come on.
1: <laughs> That's fair. So. In today's market, about 15% of what Californians pay for gas is reflective of taxes. Federal excise taxes are 18.3 cents per gallon on gasoline and 24.3 cents per gallon on diesel. And uh, lest you think that that is a reflection of the current administration, those excise taxes haven't, saved, haven't changed since 1993. Um, They will probably be the same for literally ever. And then you can add those taxes to a variety of state taxes, like environmental taxes and special taxes and inspection fees and state excise taxes, too. And then in some cases, there are local taxes and fees added. Lots of taxes, lots of fees.
0: To sum it all up, there's a lot that contributes to the price of gas, and the cost of crude oil is a really big part of it
1: but the question that you are all here to have answered is who can we blame for this? We know, we know. Yes. It's an essential part of what we do here. We give you clear-cut answers that allow you to quickly and effectively level your blame at the most deserving target.
2: And now that you've all stopped laughing, because <laughs> that's, that's not what we do.
0: Right. Totally. <sighs> but it would be so nice. Let's examine why gas prices are so damn high, shall we? Um I can't mimic the too damn high guy. Um, we've heard a few theories offered by several confident folks who are just certain they understand why gas is through the roof. One of those is that it's just another way inflation is crushing our souls. Uh, whoever we can blame for inflation, we can blame for this as well. And that's eh, its not completely wrong. We know from our previous episodes on inflation and gas prices that the price of oil globally can impact factors like supply chain activity and manufacturing that increase inflation in our domestic economy. And inflation can affect the different elements of gas prices that rely on local labor, uh, transportation, and production. It's kind of a cyclical problem. But the good news there is that Either When either the cost of oil or the level of inflation goes down, theoretically, we will see that cycle begin to level out as well. Theoretically. Theoretically.
1: Another theory being proffered right now is that it's all Joe Biden's fault. In fact, this calls to mind the opening of Pumped Up Prices, where we scoffed, you know, I don't think it even took two days after the election for someone to tell me, well, get ready for gas prices to go up. Here comes $4 a gallon. And then consistently for the last 10 months at that time, I've heard the same thing over and over and over again. Man, there are so many people feeling really smug right now because their prediction came true.
0: <laughs> even a blind squirrel finds a nut.
1: Right? Right. Yeah. 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 Speaking of smug, there's a video making the rounds right now from one of my least favorite public personalities, Ben Shapiro, where he attempts to demonstrate that these gas prices are indeed the president's fault and his alone. Literally, the title of the video is, Here's Why Biden is to Blame for Insanely High Gas Prices. Listen, it was incredibly painful for me to listen to him talk for nine minutes about this cutting in clips from members of the Biden administration out of context to try to demonstrate demonstrate that they intended this crazy spike and listening to him make fun of people. But I did it. We did it.
0: Yeah. And? We gave him that YouTube watch. He's the the worst impressionist I think I've ever seen, but he's so convicted. God. He just really wants to, you to laugh at his John Kerry impersonation. He really notes. does. Um, it's not great. So what did you, what did you learn from? Yeah, nothing. Yeah, me either.
2: Mostly kidding. I'm mostly kidding. Yeah. <laughs> His first argument in defense of this thesis is that Jen Saki was wrong, and that's how he opens the whole bag. During a press conference recently, Saki said that there are nine thousand non-producing leases for oil currently on the Bureau of Land Management property, and that the companies that own these leases already have all the permits they need to start producing. She said, and I quote. I don't think they need an embroidered invitation to start drilling.
1: <laughs> Shapiro points out correctly that there is a difference between a lease and a permit to drill. The Bureau of Land Management manages those permits and there are clearly articulated regli-
0: regulations, clear- regulations.
1: And there are clearly articulated regulations as to what has to happen before a leaseholder can begin the drilling process. He seems to think that Jen conflated the two, but it didn't seem immediately obvious to me that she did. Uh, She did seem to think that all of the paperwork was in place for those leaseholders, but either way, her belief about what they need doesn't actually affect the actual process. These companies are not coming to Misaki or even to the White House asking for permits and being told, nah, you've got everything you need. That is a false flag argument planted to make the viewer question the intelligence of Biden administration members from the jump. Clever, Ben, but we're on
0: to you. Now, he did make an argument we can fact check. He said that the BLM under the Biden administration is slow walking the permitting process intentionally and preventing leaseholders from producing. And what I think he's referencing here is a recent pause and subsequent delay in processing new leases and permits because a group of lawmakers sued the administration over how they calculate the impact of new drilling on climate change. In early February, Judge James Kane Jr. of the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Louisiana determined that the Biden administration's calculations artificially increased the cost estimates Cost estimates of oil and gas drilling,
2: and while it is true that Biden halted new drilling leases on federal lands over a year ago in January of 2021, a federal judge blocked that that move last June. Even with that pause, in its first year, the Biden administration actually approved 34 percent more of these permits than the Trump administration did in its first year, according to the federal data compiled by the Center for Biological Diversity, which is an environmental group. And here's the real kicker. Even with those approved permits, even if the administration has approved 10 times as many permits, we'd still be experiencing the same production issues because those permits are for production three or four years down the line.
1: The next argument that our friend Ben makes, again, using clips of administration members to plant an idea in the viewer's head, is that Biden's intention to move the U.S. away from fossil fuels has caused the administration to be intentionally careless about preparing for a change in global oil supply. He points to a steady increase in gas prices under Biden as evidence that Biden is prepping the ground for a crisis like this one that we're experiencing to force us away from dependence on oil.
2: Mm.
0: Clever. Clever. Deep state plot. I believe it. I buy it. Uh, no, wait. There's a hitch in that plan. Gas prices have been increasing steadily since April 2020. That would be before the election and almost a year before Biden took office and was able to make any policy changes. So unless President Trump was also prepping the ground, that claim doesn't really hold water or oil or oil. (laughs) She's got jokes tonight, folks. (laughs)
2: So uh, that theory also flies in the face of the fact that the Biden administration has been urging American companies to ramp up production since as early as t- October of 2021. At an event with the National Petroleum Council in December, Jennifer M. Granholm, the energy secretary, told oil companies to please take advantage of the leases you have. Hire workers. Get your rig count up.
1: And then finally, using snark and implication to make a point rather than making any clear assertions that could be fact-checked. Shapiro says that the Biden administration is refusing to allow domestic oil companies to make moves that would lower immediate gas prices and increase access to crude oil for domestic production, like shutting down the Keystone XL.
0: I um I really I really don't want to get into it about Mm-mm. Keystone XL Pipeline. I really do, but say, I don't. John
2: probably like, does. I do,
0: I do, <laughs> I do, I do, but we don't have time and none of us have enough sleep or coffee. So we'll find you some sources that explain in detail how minimal the impact of that one expansion to an already existing pipeline would be to gas prices in the US like ever, ever. We're talking pennies. You can count. On one hand, but one really important factor that people are missing in this conversation is that by most estimates, the pipeline wouldn't even be completed by now. Best case scenario, best case scenario. If nothing had ever happened to interrupt it, it was projected to open in 2023. But there were legal disputes and there were mm-hmm. halts. So it's, it's only 8% finished at this moment. So even if he did start it back up and and open the pipeline, quote unquote, it would be transporting exactly zero oil. Even if Biden had allowed the project to go forward, it would not be contributing to the volume of oil coming into the U.S. from Canada at this moment. Yeah. We cannot make it any clearer.
1: Right, Like there's this perception out there that the Keystone XL would increase U.S. oil production and like. It's coming from Canada. We're just making it come in faster.
0: Yeah. I think uh, since 2008, we have increased importing oil from Canada by 70%. Yeah. So, like, we're getting it, folks. It's coming. Excuse me. Hiccup.
2: Just in trucks. One of the most likely culprits for why our gas prices are so high is going back to that simple supply and demand problem. But this time it's caused in part by OPEC, which is the Organization for Petroleum Exporting Countries, if you remember, uh, their decision to reduce crude oil production, which uh, happened back in April of 2020. They were trying to stabilize the oil prices and there was oil problems back then Um, this decision was revisited and upheld on march 2nd of 2022 and their press release states current volatility is not caused by changes in market fundamentals but by current geopolitical developments (laughs) of the countries that america gets their oil from russia and saudi arabia are the only ones who are members of opec However, if the major producers of oil are not pumping out as much as they have in previous years, supply and demand would force oil basket prices up. And a fun fact, an oil basket, or I'm sorry, a basket price is the average OPEC barrel price. So they take all of the different oil producing countries, barrel prices, average them out. That's what a basket is.
1: Yeah. um, OPEC's basket prices have almost doubled in the last year as can be seen in a lovely graph on their website that essentially goes like this. Um, And we will also share that on our social media because it is a very clear indicator of what exactly is going on with gas prices.
2: I don't know why OPEC denies their impact on the oil market through this internal consultation of their member countries and 10 non-member oil-producing countries that include um, people like...
0: Azerbaijan, the Kingdom of Bahrain, Brunei Darussalam, Equatorial Guinea which later joined OPEC, Kazakhstan, Malaysia, Mexico, the Sultanate of Oman, the Russian Federation, the Republic of Sudan, and the Republic of South Sudan.
2: I uh, appreciate the assist on that, John. <laughs> That's going to be the best edit ever. <laughs> you better actually edit it, though, John, because the last time you said you were going to take stuff out, you didn't, and I want to stab you.
0: <laughs> Listen, the audience loved it. Ugh. I'm speculating. <laughs>
2: um. Okay. <laughs> so I guess it's easier to only blame the war instead of admitting that intentionally reducing oil production also impacts supply.
0: The war might be affecting, I know, mind-blowing, right? The war might be affecting Russia's oil production, which accounts for roughly 10% of the world's oil and further impact the supply and demand of global oil. We just kind of find it hard to blame only the war when OPEC is purposefully reducing supply.
1: Right. Um, This is kind of where that uh, the reserve comes in that we were talking about earlier, um, since Russia is a member of OPEC. And a big factor in the futures market is how much people can spike up in emergency production if supply were to decrease. There is a minor argument to be made that the effect of of oil production and our access to emergency supply um, is causing some of this instability in the oil market, but uh OPEC's
2: also really good at PR. Except their It's almost like, like, like their the- actual press releases are just I mean, the data points to it. If you go through all of their website and you look at the oil basket prices and the decisions that they make and what they say, like, it doesn't take a genius because I am not one to see that they severely impacted the global oil production impacts, impacted the impacts. Yeah, I said it. I'm sticking by it.
1: Hey, you know. (laughs) Leaving it in.
0: (laughs) But yeah, I, I mean, but it's almost like they're a giant oil baron company or something that spends massive amounts of of their public money on PR campaigns to they call themselves, make themselves look better or they something. They call
2: themselves a coalition. So um, mm-hmm. you should probably reframe that sentence from company to coalition.
0: Conglomerate. No, I meant what I said. <laughs> they act like a company. And they function as a company. And
2: also, it, it doesn't go um, unnoticed to me that the companies that are all in OPEC and the non member I'm sorry, the countries that are in OPEC and the non member countries that are um having input in the groups, uh, they mm-hmm. don't like America. They're not real big American fans. So that's yeah. kind of a Fun story. Most obvious. of the
1: countries that make a lot of oil do not like America.
0: <laughs> that's crazy. Right, it's crazy, but like I'm pretty sure, and I need to I need to double check this reference, so don't take it to the bank. But I'm pretty sure America actually produces more oil individually than any of them.
2: Well, we certainly export more oil than we import. So
1: yes,
0: Although that is that is a relatively recent switch. Yes. Well, good. I'll more
1: than it. the pluses, the uh, the plus part of OPEC plus, or more than any other
0: OPEC. I think more than any of any other.
1: i feel like nobody outproduces saudi arabia
0: i can check hold on because like i remember going that can't be right but then i looked at the data and i was like but it seems like it is yeah, so i mean i'm not like saying we're sides. not up
1: there but i feel like a lot of this rises and falls on saudi arabia
0: stand by the United States is the top petroleum liquids producer in the world, averaging 18.6 million barrels a day to account for 20% of the world's production in 2020. Then, it's also the top producer of crude oil and lease condensate at 11.3 million barrels a day as of 2020. Then don't, We're that's according to Investopedia. Don't people. we
2: also use the most though?
0: No, I think that's China.
2: Oh, that makes sense. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Saudi Arabia uh, only contributes 10.8 million barrels a day. So we have them outpaced by 8. Point, uh or 7.8 million barrels a day. Interesting. Yeah. I know. I was surprised too.
1: Mm. Well, all right. Uh to to sum it all up here, uh most of the responsibility for gas prices Oh, wait.
0: What? Time out. I need to correct myself. We are the largest consumer of uh of oil suck it
2: john i was right
0: you were right china is second place at 14.3 million barrels a day whereas the u.s consumes uh well that data isn't here but apparently this article was written specifically to prove me both right and wrong (laughs) and not give me any further context (laughs) so
1: it was written just for you yep but even with all of those factors considered Most of the responsibility for the gas prices right now falls at the feet of COVID. Not Putin, not Biden, just a little virus with a protein spike. Still, as we've already mentioned, oil prices dropped to an incredible low of negative $37.63 in April of 2020. This is, in part, why producers in both the U.S. and around the world began to cut output of their crude oil. In fact, 2020 saw the largest annual decline in crude oil production in the U.S. Energy Information Administration's records.
0: But just like with everything else seeing high inflation, when pandemic restrictions loosened and people began actually driving again, demand quickly outpaced supply, which as we just mentioned, has been kept depressed by OPEC. Domestic production also remains below pre-pandemic levels. Coming out of the pandemic, China has also seen a significant uptick in energy consumption, meaning that had everything else stayed the same, prices would have been creeping up as demand for the limited resource grew. And now Russia invading Ukraine has compounded that situation because it has had a definite impact on global energy prices. There's no single determining factor driving the cost of oil up right now. It's just a perfect storm of terrible situations.
1: Have Biden's stances on green energy and minimizing fossil fuel reliance played a role? Likely, frankly. I mean, of course the general outlook of the petroleum industry is going to impact fuel prices. A big part of the oil market, like we said a few minutes ago, is in futures, them guessing on what oil is going to cost in the future and then buying and selling it based on that price. But in the estimation of Patrick DeHaan, head of petroleum analysis for GasBuddy, which tracks gasoline prices, these policies have played a very, very small role in pushing gas prices up.
0: And that honestly doesn't surprise me. After all of the research that we've done on inflation and gas prices if there's one thing i've learned it's that there's never this will shock listeners there's never a simple answer right (laughs) there's never a simple answer there's never one person that you can point the finger at and say you caused gas prices to go up and you caused international conflict like it's i wish it were that simple if it were that simple justice would be like so easy in the world right but it's not it's not it's all tangled together Um, but one of these, I want to, I want to get your guys' take on this. One of the really interesting, uh, things I've seen come out of this is this sort of like mentality that this situation shows that we need to produce even more oil and natural gas, like for some reason, because the prices have skyrocketed. We therefore need to make even more.
1: Yeah, I, that was kind of a running thre- theme through the, the Ben Shapiro video, too. This idea that that we we shouldn't take this as a sign that we need to pursue alternative energy sources more. We just need to make it easier to keep doing the same thing that we have been doing. Just Just bring in more oil, make more oil, make gas cheaper, and that will solve the problem.
2: Well, look, Teslas are really expensive, okay? like, And I ordered one five months ago, six months ago, and I still don't have it. And I bought specifically a higher – anyway, yeah, it's hard to get these things because I wanted to –
0: Did you get a bougie one so you'd get it faster? I did, and it was
2: only because I would get it faster, and then
0: I proceeded to not get it faster. And I'm probably going to turn it down anyway, so. Curses, Musk. I, if only you'd yeah. spent more time in your factory wrenching on new cars instead of shipping satellite receivers to Ukrainians. Right.
1: No, but like this.
0: Actually, that was pretty cool too. So yeah. that was that was really <laughs> cool,
1: actually. Um, no, this this idea that like like clearly we just need to rely more on fossil fuels that we can extract from the ground in the place that we live, rather than taking this opportunity to pursue renewable energy sources or you know the fact that you can literally and actually run a car on waste oil from restaurant fryers like all of this technology already exists and there's just no impetus for us to pursue it because there's no money in it because all the money is currently in
2: oil
0: yeah it just seems sorry i was gonna say wouldn't that
2: smell really bad have you actually done an oil frying machine
0: it doesn't i've i've like been around these oil, like burning. They're basically just diesel, mm-hmm. and it doesn't smell like French fries. I wanted it to, yeah, frankly, I but it, it doesn't. That's kind of disappointing. All the French fries smell gets just burned smells up, like diesel. Yep, yeah. but no, I just like it seems crazy to me because that whole mentality, to me, from my perspective, it's like you just reached out and grabbed a hot coal, and you're like, "Ow, this is really hard, like painful. I'm being harmed by this. I better grab another one." That's what it seems like to me to be like, wow, gas is really expensive. We better make more and increase our dependence upon it. Right. Like, even if it's coming from us, from our own fields, and we don't have to import any, it's still a price that is subject to the whims of the market and can be influenced by things that are impacting our country more and more, like climate change. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) there's kind of this... Mentality. Ben Shapiro says it all throughout that that video where he's like, "Climate change is going to happen over the course of a hundred years. It's going to take forever, and it's gradual." Which is bullshit. It's bullshit. California has record wildfires year after year because of climate change. Today, right now, that's what's happening. We're having record flooding. We're having record hurricanes every year because of. Climate I'm not
2: change. denying climate change whatsoever, but we need to take into account the fact that um, the federal parks were not maintained well enough to prevent the wildfires.
0: Robin, how many federal parks were part of the wildfires oh, shit. in these last couple I years? Forgot.
2: What about states?
0: It's less than 10%. That's yeah. true. The vast majority of, of the... the fires the, or the land consumed? The f-
2: because Yosemite got a lot of fires. All of the Inyo National Forest went up in flames. So are we talking by land area or by number?
0: The number I saw and the analysis I saw was that the vast majority of the land that burned in California was state-owned property, not oh, federal. Yes.
1: And... While like, that is an vast, vast interesting way to approach it from a purely human and in current society impact, um, the, the fact that these fires would have occurred with or without human intervention isn't like that doesn't really matter. Because if we left the planet to its own devices, like the fires would still exist. So humans, you know, cleaning out the forest is great if we're going to live around the forest. But that doesn't change the fact that climate change is contributing to the conditions that are causing these fires. We just need to do a better job of making sure they don't destroy everything that we've built around them.
0: No, I wasn't yeah. trying. We can do both. Things. Yeah. I wasn't trying to uh,
2: take a non-human approach to it um, at all, especially because humans caused a lot of them. But I just right. – y'all focused on the California wildfires and I would need to um, look way more into that and in the research of the California wildfires. As a Californian and how my energy bill was doubled because of prevention for wildfire things and mm-hmm. to like the whole bill breaks down like this is to help with climate control and stuff like that. Again, the costs are being passed along to the consumer, inflating mm-hmm. bills and – Either the state is not taking care of it or the companies um, PDG&E and SDG&E, they don't care, um, but they, they're like, yeah, we are doubling your stuff because we want to save the environment. Mm-hmm. So I, I am directly impacted by the climate change and the stuff in California for sure, but I thought about the national parks.
0: I can't find a site for that wildfire stuff. I'm probably terribly, terribly wrong. I realize uh, that I don't know that I had a good source on that information, but I will find out and we'll get back to you on that. It's been bothering me since I said it, and now it's going to keep me awake at night. So just put it on the to-do list.
2: Really big segue. I still love California.
1: If you have opinions about our national parks, boy, have we got an episode for you. And you know where you can find that episode? On our website, firesidebreakdowns.com, where uh, we talk about the new national parks director, Chuck Sams. He's our friend. Uh, And we also post all of our show notes there. So you can see all of our sources for this episode. You can see the really cool graphs that we're going to share in our show notes and on social media. And you could also become a patron. That's right. You can give us a small amount of money every month, have access to the Super Groovy Dance Jams playlist, plus also our cool research playlist, and get priority episode requests if you ever wanted to tell us what you wanted to know about all of that. Firesidebreakdowns.com.
2: And now on to good news. Um... I don't know if you guys have been suffering this week like I have and what looks like John has because he looks super tired. Um, But the...
0: (laughs) Wow. Wow. After this whole... I didn't even say it and you're now... You're just... Mm, mm, anyway, mm,
2: mm, so uh, good news is that the, the Sunshine Protection Act has been passed by the U.S. Senate. Yay! Um, of course, it needs to be passed by the House and signed into law by President Biden. But I want to claim that one third of the way through the process is still very good news for those of us who are suffering from a lack of sleep this week. Um, if y'all are living under a rock and don't. Oh, or if you're living in Arizona and are not impacted by was it Arizona Mm -hmm. and maybe Hawaii. I don't know if Hawaii is not impacted by daylight savings. I think it's Hawaii. I think you're right. So if you are in Hawaii or Arizona, we already hate you a little bit, but, um, this bill (laughs) would make daylight savings permanent starting in November of 23 and do away with, um, the pesky rolling back of the clocks in the fall. Airlines and broadcasters still need to give input before it goes into effect, but it's still very much good news because this passed unanimously. Um, it was great timing to ask the tired senators to their <laughs> days after losing an hour of sleep, so I think that was perfect, perfect placement, like, oh, you guys seem tired. You know what we should do. Here's this yeah. bill, <laughs> and everyone like savings time <laughs> <laughs> so um. With this, uh, we'll get a little bit more sunshine, and I'm sure we could all use a little bit more sunshine in our lives. Yes.
0: That's true. That is true. Um, Especially
2: John. He
0: looks pale. Wow. That's something coming from you. I'm fine being ghostly white. A vampire. Yeah. I'm a daywalker, thank you. Anyways... (laughs) before this whole thing devolves into a wild brawl of sniping at each other. I really other, just
2: am trying to give my friend... I still
0: care about your feelings. I'm trying to
2: give my friend a reason friend. to listen to the podcast, That um, even though she has opinions about certain people on the
0: podcast. Listen, she is allowed to think that I am annoying. That is fine. I'm not everybody's cup of tea, and I understand and accept that. And, um, you know... I just try to, like, recognize the unique wonders in every individual that I meet. Uh, <laughs> um, um, I think that wraps us up for this time. Robin, you want to take us out of here before I put my foot even further in my own I mouth.
1: will gladly take us out of here. Thank you, everybody, for listening to us talk to you today. We'll be back with you again next week. And until that time, take care of each other.